Um, yeah. It's funny because I, yeah, yeah. No, I, I've actually come around on that myself. So, sure, that's a good talking point. You know, me and Francisco, we chopped it up a lot about your dollar, about your video that we equate to the dollar bill video. We always say we're going to make a video and it mimics your video. I was telling him about it. He's not a Swedenborgian. He grew up a Catholic. Uh, he's not well, a I religious. That against him. He's not. A, <laughs> he's not a religious man, but he's a um, a, a good spiritual brother. You know what I'm saying? Um, you good? Yeah, I'm going over my intro. Oh, my man. Yeah, yeah. I knew him since he was a little kid, man. To see him do all of this shit makes me so happy, bro. Because he, <laughs> he, I ride his coattails, you know, and get to guest host. He. He does everything else, the editing, the like all the stuff you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing the easy part. <clears throat> yeah, oh yeah, I'm I'm lucky, man. Smart. Smart. <laughs> I, I, I need I need to be more like you. Oh man, now you need a Francisco. Yeah, I'm sure you're not gonna find one. <laughs> Who yeah, me? One of a kind. Who talk about it? Uh, talk about it with Franges. Today we have two special guests. Returning co-host Michael Mukatosh, and and today's guest leads worship services, church camps, spiritual development classes, Bible study classes, performs weddings, pastoral counseling. The list goes on. Todd Beiswinger. Yeah, my man Todd. Wow, you really sound really good. I, I hope and you're he, as good and, as, and as your credentials. It sounds amazing. I tell you what, and you forgot to include spiritual influencer. Woo, YouTuber. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't it sounds sound so good? good. I would love an explanation. What does that even mean? <laughs> well, you know, these days you go on social media, somebody says they're an influencer. And um, a few years ago, I started doing some YouTube videos. And this year I've expanded into Instagram reels and TikToks and whatnot. And so I thought, you know, this whole title of Reverend sounds so antiquated. I, I, I need a new title. I need to update my, my, my title. And I decided Spiritual Influencer. I like That's, it. I like it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> That's where I'm going. <laughs> I like it. At first, it sounds like you're influencing spirituality on people. Is that a way of looking at it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I like it. I uh, like it, it. Before we get too deep, I, I, let, let, let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was born on a Air Force base in Fort Worth, Texas. And then I grew up um, in outside of Philadelphia. My, my As you would guess, my dad flew uh, for the Air Force. He was flying cargo planes. And then uh, he had an opportunity to move to Philadelphia. So we moved there when I was little. I spent most of my growing up there. Oh, Philly. Yeah. Tough, tough place. Yeah, let, let, let's talk about let's talk about Philly. Uh when was the transition there? Uh, I think dad moved there when we were seventy six, somewhere around there. So I mean I was tiny and uh, you know, dad's still there. It's um basically I, mean, I don't know how, how, how fast you want to get deep on subjects here, but like my, my dad was raised by parents. One his, his dad was Catholic. His mother was Protestant. Um, he was, he was really interested in the book of revelation. He thought that was fascinating. Want, wanted to figure out what it meant. His sister finds this book in the library called Apocalypse Revealed. Dad sees it, thinks it's stupid, and does nothing with it. But a few years later, he kind of comes back to it and says, actually, you know, this is really good. And it's written by Emanuel Swedenborg from the 1800s, 1700s, 18th century. And uh, Dad gets so excited about the stuff that he decides to move to Philly where there's a whole hub of Swedenborg people going and there's a little community and church and the whole thing. So he moves us up there um, and he just transfers his Air Force work to McGuire Air Force Base over in New Jersey. So I grew up in this little Swedenborg community for most of my life. How old were you? that's how I ended up in Philly. How old were you? 
Uh, I was like one, two, something like that. Little. Oh, wow. So, like, I don't even remember Texas, but I was, I have a birth certificate. It says born in Texas, but I don't remember it. <laughs> well, you're a Philly guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I lived there till 2012. So, 30 years or so, 30 some years. And, and what so, was the Philly's reason? Great. What was the reason for the move out of Philly? Well, what ends up happening is. So I graduated from university. I'm selling race car parts for 10 years. We're, we're big into the drag racing industry. And then I uh, had this, this calling on my life to, uh, to be a pastor for the church. And right as I'm finishing my training to, to graduate, uh, there's an opening for a church in Sydney. We're just south of Sydney, Australia. And uh, I said to my wife, I was like, hey, you, you want to go to Australia? She's like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. So I put my name in for the, for the job and, uh, they said yes. And we've been here ever since it's been, been a heck of an adventure. When you say calling, what do you mean? Was it a spiritual calling? Yeah. I mean, look, my, my, I've been trying to think of how much I want to go into all this, but like, I think it might be useful to hear how I got into the church myself because even though I was raised around it, I didn't really, you know, embrace it as my own, right? It was something I'd grown up around, but, you know, it wasn't really mine. But my kind of story is that in 2005, my mother passed away and we were tight um, and it was hard on me and I, I don't know if you guys had this, have had this experience, but like with my mom, um, she always thought I was a good boy and I tried my best to uphold that at least on an appearance level, even if I knew the stuff inside wasn't so good. And after she passed, I had this weird kind of sense of like, ah, crap, she's on the other side and she'll be able to maybe see what a jerk I really am and all the, the bad stuff that goes on inside my head that, you know, I've never let anybody in on. Um, and in particular at the time I was, I was deeply involved in watching porn and stuff like that. It's just like, I just knew that that was not who I wanted to be even. And so I thought I need to make some change. I need to make some change. And um, I did, various things to distract myself to you know going to the gym or learning different uh hobbies and stuff like that and it wasn't getting me anywhere um i just felt like i was still in this negative you know mind space and what ends up happening is i found that as i'm just going through my mind of you know how do i how do i get to be a better person this little voice inside my head is like a, of, a, of a minister from 20 years prior says, you know, read the word, read the scriptures. And I was so, I was so burnt out of trying and I was, I was just desperate to be, to be free of all this negative talk in my head that I was like, you know what? I got nothing to lose. I didn't believe reading the scripture was going to do anything, but I'm like, you know, what the heck? I, I gave it a shot. And, uh, and I did. So I would, I would, every day before bed, I'd read a chapter. And then I just noticed that in a month, my headspace was totally different. And like, you know, we talk about freedom in, in the world as being able to do what you want, right? Oh, I'm free to go out and, uh, drive my car. I'm free to go set up a business. I'm free to go do whatever. And what I learned is that freedom is, is much, it's, it's not that freedom is, is being able to say no to something, right? Freedom is, Hey, um, here's, here's a, here's a donut, right? You know, you really love donuts. Here's a donut, but you have the ability to say, nah, I'm good. Um, or, you know, in a case like mine, it's like, oh, you know, here's 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 a, a Playboy magazine and, I, and the ability to say, nah, not interested right now. I got other stuff to do. That, that was real freedom. 
You know, it wasn't that something was put in front of me. Oh, I have to do this. I have to watch. I have to look at all this stuff. So it was a, a real switch in my mind of what freedom was. And when I saw what scripture was doing for me, giving me real freedom, um, I became super interested. And so I started studying it and I wanted to know what it meant. And that's where uh, Swedenborg comes in because he explains basically a personal meaning. He's like, look, if you look at all these stories, they have application to your life. This is the, the, the Bible is this big metaphor for your life. And um, once I realized that, I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And I was being, I could see myself in all these stories. And, and not only was it showing what I had done, but it was clearly pointing to a picture of where I was headed if I didn't start doing things differently. So that kind of, once I got so invested in it and seeing the change for me, that's, it's a long answer for what, how the calling come about. The calling was like, okay, hey, if you really benefited from this, other people would too. You know, somebody else is out there looking for this story too. Somebody else needs that encouragement to approach scripture. Somebody else needs these explanations because they're, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be porn, right? It can be, you know, drugs, alcohol, you know, we get addicted to all sorts of things. Um, success, money, right? And um, I thought, well, all right, I'll, 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 I'll crack at it. And uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll pause here for a second, because I don't want to just this to be a one sided conversation, but I, I can talk for the whole two hours, if you want. <laughs> no, that, that was incredible because you you, you, you hit like my, my five first topics. I wanted to get to know how how you really came about it. And that, that was that was a, a, a perfect way of, of just letting us, you know, see it step from step. It started off with your father and then it, it took you to, to, to see your own enlightenment in your adulthood. So you've, you've been through this your whole life, but it took your adulthood, something in your adulthood to, for, you, for it to click. That, that's beautiful. That's right. Yeah, look, it's 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 weird. Like when I was in my twenties, probably like early twenties, I, I had I'd been around the Swedenborg thing all my life, and I I didn't have anything against it, but I was tired of it. I felt like I'd just been you know indoctrinated a bit, and I was like, ah, eh, not that I don't believe, but I'm stepping away. I went to school out of state, got my marketing degree, um, got into my career, and well, I never had any animosity towards the church and whatnot. Um, it really wasn't until I had this, you know, real spiritual struggle that the, the teachings of the church became mine. It's like, no, no, I believe this for me, regardless of whatever my my dad or anybody else thinks. No, I, I see the value in myself. And that's what I'm trying to help other people do is uh, make it theirs because it doesn't matter what I tell them. All that matters is do they take it on for themselves? So I'm just trying to help people um, see see the relevance and uh, applicability to their own life. How do you how do you help people? Do do you help people that come to you for help, or do you find yourself trying to help people that don't even want it? Because you know we we can always <laughs> see somebody that can use the help, and it's hard to really help those people because people only oh receive help when they want it, when they're open to it, when they see the problem, when they want the help. Yeah. Oh, look, it, it, it happens both ways. There are some people who show up at my door, you know, the office door, church door, whatever. And, you know, they're wanting a conversation. You know, we go out and do coffee or sometimes it's a Zoom call. Um, yeah, I, I do that kind of work. And those people know, know they need some help. And that, that's, that's the easy one, right? Because they, they know they need something. Um, with the, all the YouTube and social media stuff, you know, that's, that's just throwing the seed out there and, and hoping it lands on some fertile ground. And a lot of it isn't, um, you know, there are a lot of people who just, you know, they're where I was 20 years ago. You know, it, it's, they're, they're so immersed in their work and their life and, you know, and just paying bills and running, run, keeping the wheels turning of life that they haven't had the ability to stop and go, how do I, how do I actually become happy? Right. You know, cause we think happiness is, you know, getting the stuff or getting a, getting a, a husband or wife, you know, there, there are things that we think make us happy. And then 
this is why the midlife crisis happens, right? Because you go, wait a second, I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm not happy. This, this dream isn't real. Um, you know, how do I, I, I've got to reevaluate my priorities. And that to me is what, um, the, the church, what's what religion is really about. It's about resetting priorities. So how do you help the people who don't want to be helped? You know, you can't, you know, you can't help them if they, if they don't want to. And they have to realize that there's something wrong in their life. I mean, that's, that was my story. I had to realize, Hey man, you're not who you say you are. You're not who you pretend to be. And, um, realizing that that needed to change. So, you know, I, so you I, hear- I, I came across this amazing quote recently, the people who need it the most want it the least. And the people who want it the most need it the least. And that's exactly the same situation. People that don't even realize it, they're the ones that need it. It's tough. Yeah. Very tough. Yeah. No, so, that's true. So Swedenborg, I, I, I only read one of his books. Uh, what was it? Heaven and Hell. What is it called? Yeah, Heaven and Hell, the, the New Century Edition. That one. That, that's yep. a great book because I've, I've never been into religion. I, was, I wasn't really a believer I'm more of the person that needs like a little proof, a little something extra. So I've always been hesitant on believing. And I've, and that book actually kind of helped balance out my hesitation and what, what, what the Bible is about, I feel like. It gave me like a little common ground on it. So okay. prove, um, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not too um, knowledgeable with Swedenborg, but he had hallucinations, right? Where he where he can he can tap into the spiritual world or something like that. Yeah, I wouldn't call it hallucinations, but you know, yeah, he he could see into the the spiritual world is what he was his claim was. And that's a, just know, to and, clarify, and he, that's a Christian. It's a Christian religion. Yeah, yeah. So Swedenborg was he was raised uh, in the Lutheran tradition. So his father was like a, a Lutheran bishop or something like that, high up in the Lutheran ranks. Um. And so at some point, so Swedenborg's got this whole life where he's, he goes through his youth and, and early adulthood. He's, he's a scientist. He's a hardcore, he's like a Leonardo da Vinci of Sweden, right? One of these guys who knows everything about everything, um, you know, math, science, poetry, mining, you know, he, it's, it's crazy how smart the guy was. And you can actually Google him, Swedenborg's IQ. And it's like, depending on the source, you know, people have him ranked somewhere usually in the top 20 of all time greatest minds. So, so the guy's not stupid, right? You know, he's, he's brilliant. And, uh, in his mid fifties, he starts, he has this encounter where, where God comes to him and says, basically, you've got a job to do. You've got a job to do. And you're going to write down what I tell you to. And so he does, he spends the next like 30 years of his life. We're good. Spends the next 30 years of his life uh, writing down like 35 volumes of, of books. Um, Heaven and Hell is definitely the most popular and well-known one. And uh, I think a lot of people like it because it presents a kind of a rational view of an afterlife. You know, there's there's it's not this oh, well, you were part of this religion, so therefore you go to heaven. Oh, you didn't believe the right things? <clears throat> Pull the trap door, down you go. You know, Swedenborg presents a, a reasonable way that the afterlife uh, would be. So, how is yeah. That, how is that? Is there a government, and according to Swedenborgianism or the new church, would they, would they say there's a, a devil in hell and a God in heaven? Well, Swedenborg's view is that there is a God in heaven. There is no singular devil. Like there's not like this, you know, cartoon character, dude with the big horns who rules over all of hell. Um, Swedenborg doesn't buy that. He says, no, you know, God rules over heaven and hell. Um, There are plenty of devils in hell, but there isn't, you know, the, the opposite, you know, the, to God in, in hell. No. Um, basically God has to rule everything. 
that makes so much more sense compared to, you know, you hear those questions, oh, why would God give the devil so much power? And isn't God really doing it if he knows everything, you know? So that answers all of those questions. That That's one thing I really appreciate about Swedenborg's work is that, the, like you said, there's common ground for an average person, a thinker, uh, somebody that believes more maybe in science and, and physical evidence. And then when you take the Bible and then you say, hey, hold on, not everything in here is meant to be taken literally, right? And then that's where the beauty of his message, uh, you know, could resonate with most people and, and change, yeah. really make a, a good change in somebody's life when they really understand what they're reading opposed to what somebody told them you know, how to interpret the word in, in some cases. Well, and it, it changes your, your priority. Like if you, if you think about just like mainstream Christianity, put, put all the religions aside for a minute, like the Catholic church, they're all about rituals, right? You know, you got to say the right prayers, you got to do the rosaries, you know, you know, Oh, you did something wrong. You got to confess. Um, that's how they solve salvation, right? You got to do these things. Uh, the Protestant church typically says, well, you've got to believe these things because no matter how many good works you do, you can't earn heaven, right? You can never be perfect, which is, which is true. Um, but what near these things get right is resolving your heart because, you know, I can go out this weekend and, and smoke, a, or smoke a lot of drugs and have hookers and do all these things, right? Go back to, to, to my Catholic priest and say, oh, gee, I'm, I'm really sorry I stuffed up. Um, and they'll, they'll absolve you. And then you can go out and do it again. And you just keep repeating this process. And you say, oh, but I'm, I'm going to go to heaven because, hey, look, I, I confess. I have given to the church all these things. Like, well, does that really make sense? Does it make sense that a serial adulterer, you know, goes to heaven even just because he did some some rituals? Well, well no, that's that's absurd. Um same thing happens in the on the faith alone traditions, right? You know, I've I've told the story plenty of times where I've met people where they think they can be as a jerk, they can abuse their wife, they can do abuse their spouse, they can abuse their kids, but they say, "Hey, it's okay. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to heaven." What does that make any sense? God's going to offer that person protection. Like you spent your whole life abusing your, your family and I'm going to let you in. Oh, because you believe in me. <laughs> no, you don't believe in me, you idiot. Um, so to, to me, the Christ, mainstream Christian ideas around what is salvation just don't make any sense. And Swedenborg saying, look, you know, if you want, if you want salvation, you have to be, heaven you have to accept heaven into yourself you know you have to be the person who lives the way an angel would right and so therefore it opens up heaven not just to christians but opens up heaven to everybody because heaven is about what's in your heart right it's because you can you can be a jerk and and say the right things you can be a jerk inside and do the right things but heaven's about the person who says, I actually want to be a person who likes doing the good things. I want to be the person who actually walks the walk and enjoys it. Um, and that's the whole biblical narrative in, 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 a, in a metaphor. It's that transition from who you were to who you can be. You know, Jesus says you got to be born again, right? That's what he's talking about. Um, Paul says we have to circumcise the heart. That's what he's talking about. It's not about a slavish kind of um, adherence to the rules. It's it's changing who you are inside. And that's the process I feel that I've gone through is, you know, becoming a different version of myself. So, yeah. I like it. Okay. Um, tell us tell us about your church. I, I've never, never been to one like it. Uh, tell us a, a little bit about it. Like may maybe the differences of a traditional church and your church? Well, look on a, it, it's funny. Cause I, it's, it's sometimes hard for me to see the differences. 
Like if you walk in and you participate in a service, a lot of the stuff's going to feel familiar, right? There's prayers, there's singing, there's somebody giving a sermon, right? That's, that's your, your common ground. Um, but what we do differently in a, it's the denomination is, denomination is called the new church. And what we do differently is because we see the Bible in this, uh, as an allegory for your life, we can talk to you about different stories in the scripture and show how it's a microcosm for your life. You know, uh, for example, uh, a common one that I like, my favorite stories is David and Goliath. Everybody knows the story, right? Little guy beats the big guy. Woohoo, right? That's a, a very basic message out of it. But what you can see with the story is that, well, how does David beat Goliath? Well, he beats him by using a slingshot. He's got a stone. You know, it's a. It's not the you know this kind of slingshot. It's the you, just, you know, whip it and then let it go, kind. And what David is showing is that he gets his stone from a brook. All right, a brook is running water. A stone is about truth. And so this stone has been smoothed over, you know, decades, right? And what is it combating? Goliath comes on the scene and he's saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. You're going to be my slave. How many times do we have thoughts like that in our own head where you think, oh, I've got to do this. You know, this I'm you're worthless, Michael. You're nothing. Nobody likes you. You're stupid. And that, by the way, you're bald too. You know what? You know what? It's it's like you get all these things, and it's this negative stuff just pounds you. And what Swedenborg's telling us is that Goliath, you know, he represents a life dominated by faith alone, where you have you say you believe in God, you say you're a religious person, you say you're spiritual. But you don't, you don't put it into action, and so it's just all this negative talk coming coming through, and you buy into it, and you enslave the part of your life, David, that's actually trying to do the good actions. So, when you come to our services, you're hearing how, oh no, that David and Goliath story isn't just a history story from three thousand years ago. It's a story about what's going on in your own head. And, and the key to the story and the lesson you take away from it is uh, what David has is mastery of the truth. He has mastery of it. You know, you guys can ride a bike, but can you win the Tour de France? No. There's a difference between being able to do something and being a master of it. And David is a master of the truth. What has he mastered? Well, some... He's got, he's got five stones in his pouch. So he, he's not this guy who has, uh, you know, his vast storehouse of knowledge necessarily, but he's a guy who's mastered the basics. And so he uses the truth. What's the truth? Like if I'm, you know, I'm picking on Michael here, you know, oh, you're stupid, you're ugly, nobody likes you. You know, well, what's the truth? He's just, you know, in your head, you're going, no, no. I am loved. You know, my, my family loves me. My wife loves me. Francisco loves me, you know, and you know, no, I, I may not be the, you know, an underwear model, but you know what? I'm not, you know, right. You know, you start having, you, you've got to figure out what it is, is your stone. What's the thing that you can throw at Goliath and defeat him? What can make that negative talk shut up? And it's what, the story is telling us is that it's not the it's not the obscure knowledge that wins the day it's the mastery it's that it's the tried and true it's the the thing you pull out every time it's um i, I heard i heard a phrase once oh we have time right we, absolutely, we have time absolutely go crazy all right so, so I, I heard this story years ago, and it really illustrates. I love this little story, and uh, I can't remember if I have had my, one of my videos, but I, I love it. So, 
It's a story about a kung fu master. He's a, he's been a, he's been a student, and he wants to be a master. And he goes and he visits this Shaolin monk, and he's he's super excited. He's like, "All right, I'm gonna learn the secret stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna finally have access to all the secrets of the kung fu." And the master uh, is there, and the student says, hey, "Master, can you teach me your secret kung fu?" And the master says, "Well, I'd like to show you a punch." And the student's like, "Ah, oh, you know what?" I know how to punch. I know how to punch. You know, can you show? I want to know the good stuff. I said, I'd really like to show you how to punch. And then they go back and forth. And finally, the, the master says, well, I'll tell you what. Um, why don't you show me your punch? Let's start there. Let's show me what you got. And the guy's thinking, you know, okay, I'll, I'll show my punch. I'll do it. And then we can get onto the, you'll see that I can do a good punch and I'll move on. And so he does, you know, he gets down, it's Kung Fu, pow, you know, and the the goal was to stop an inch and a half in front of a candle flame. So he does, he stops right in front of it, perfect form, perfect technique. And the master says, well, that was very good. Let me show you my punch. So the master goes, he does his form and he stops three feet from the candle flame and the flame blows out. <laughs> My man. And the student, the student's like, yes, yes, that's what I want. That's the stuff. And the master says, that's what I've been trying to tell you. I want to show you how to punch. You have to master the basics, master them. He says, the enemy is not afraid of the 10,000 punches you've practiced one time. But the enemy is deathly afraid of the one punch you've practiced 10,000 times. And that, to me, is the David and Goliath story. David has mastery. You know, Goliath, you know, he goes down with the smooth stones, well-worn and rounded from years of use. And it's the same thing in our, our headspace, right? We win battles over the negative stuff on our head, not through the one obscure teaching we found, you know, on a hike somewhere. We win the day over the stuff that we know will will win. I know my wife loves me. I know God loves me. You know, dispense with all the other stupid stuff, right? And uh, so when you come to our church services, this is where you started this, this long-winded answer I'm giving you. <laughs> you <go laughs> yeah. for it. <laughs> when you come to our church services, you know, you're going to get stuff like that of showing you how these stories are real and, and about your life. And it's not just about a Jewish history book. That's, that's the answer. You, you got to give us the, an explanation, uh, according to Swedenborg of a crit of the Christmas story and how it relates to our life. In the, you know, we all know the how Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, and uh, but is there a, like a hidden meaning or something like that for the Christmas season that you can share with us, or a deeper well, meaning? I don't know. It's top secret stuff. It's just between the three of us here. Uh, now look, um. It's funny, you know, yesterday I was working on the Christmas sermon I'm going to do for, for this week. And um, look, I think if you boil it down to its essence, you know, well, what is the Christmas story? It's it's God being born into our life, right? You know, he's born in the world, but, you know, for us, it's about God coming into our life as well. And how does that happen? You know, you can see that in the story, who, who receives God? Is it the kings and the, the the elite of the ancient world? Nope. Right? It's it, he's born to some unknowns in a small town, in a in a stable. Right? You know, it's all low stuff and not high society. And I think the message here is that look, if you want God to come into your life, you have to you have to be humble. You know, you're, he's not going to come into the 
parts of your life where you think you're doing great and you're all powerful, you know, you have to have humility. You have to have, you have to have some sort of like an, an innocence of a, a willingness to hear what God says. Um, we all get sucked into like, you know, you, you know, you're talking earlier about a, uh, some skepticism, right? You know, oh, you know, I'm never sure what to really do about religion and whatnot. And religion can only really come into a place where we have this kind of Christmas time awe. Like when you're a little kid and you approach a Christmas tree or Christmas day, you're thinking, oh, wow, the impossible could happen, right? You might get that really cool G.I. Joe F-14 as a present. You know, that would be so awesome. Because as a little kid, it's beyond your own ability to procure that for yourself. Or there are more serious stories of little kids who say, oh, I wish mom and dad would stop fighting. You know, Christmas is a time you, you have this great wish for a better life and it seems possible. And God can be born into those moments where you're willing to suspend your own cynicism, your own disbelief and let him come in and do his work. You know, the shepherds are the shepherds represent the heart side of us that says, yes, I'm willing to see the angels, the wise men about the mind, you know, the, the mind can see, hey, if I do these things, God can come in. And so the, the wise men represent these three gifts that are um, that the mind giving these gifts to God. And uh, yeah, it kind of it, it grows from there. But it's Christmas time is about that, that innocence and uh yeah, giving giving space for the miraculous to happen. So, yeah, like that's an early Christmas sermon for you right there. I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah, I, I find it maybe like, in, at least here in America, right, as like maybe the best humanity has to offer on any given time of, of the year, in any year, mm. is like Christmas time. That's when people that you know they dig a little deeper, they're nicer, they give more, they help more. You think about it more, and it's you yep. know it's just for one day. You get the whole season of that, and I think that's a, a great thing. It, yeah, yeah. Another thing, it, it being I'm sorry, I was going to change the topic. If you have something to add to Christmas, go ahead. Oh, uh, just because they, when they're done fighting over the Black Friday, Chris, Black Friday deals, then yes, they start to turn good. <laughs> yeah, like like the meme that says the day before we're um we're thankful for what we have, and then one day later we're trampling over somebody to get a TV. <laughs> but after that, you got it. It's smooth sailing with the with the Christian America. Yeah. Oh, so, so this day and age, everything's on the internet. Do do you stream your services every week? Yeah, yeah, I sure do. I sure do. We have a a YouTube channel. Uh, I'm in the suburb of Hurstville, so HurstvilleNewChurch.com is our website, and uh, I have a link to our YouTube live stream on there. It's probably the easiest way to get to it. Um, so yeah, yeah, we do that, awesome. and uh, yeah. You. He also has the Lord I'm Trying YouTube page where he does the short yeah. videos, right? That, that Those are awesome. I really appreciate those. Well, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. The uh, Yeah, we. I used to have the streaming of the services and the videos on the same channel, but I've learned a bit how YouTube works. And so like most of my videos, I'm trying to do a 10-minute-ish explanation of a particular Bible story or, or concept, whatever. And um, the church services, you know, it's a different vibe, right? It's just a different way of doing things, and it's a, it's a longer form format. And so what I'd find is people would watch one of the short videos, and then YouTube would then show them my church service. And the person who wants to watch my church service isn't really in the videos and vice versa is what I find. So I, I had to split them into two channels. So, yeah, I have the ones called Lord, I'm trying. The idea is, you know, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm trying to put the message out there. You know, whatever you do with this, God, that's up to you. But, hey, I'm trying to do my my, my thing. And, uh, yeah. That's awesome. The channels. The, the future, bro. you know, everything's online. So, yeah, the, the best way to reach the most people 
is the internet. So I'm, I'm glad you're on there. That, that That's the per- perfect place to be. The um, uh, Look, it's, it's so true. Like if, if I have, say, 30 people in church, and let's say another 20, 30 watch the live stream, you know, what's your effect there? Versus I can put something on YouTube, and I'm getting, you know, 10 to 20,000 views a month. You know, that's way more than what I can do if I'm just working in my own church. So... Yeah, there's no question online is, is where it's at. Absolutely. If you had to, to, to tell us your biggest takeaway from the Ivy Land New Church, what would it be? From Ivy Land? Wow. Well, so I was an apprentice there. Uh, I worked there for about a year. And look, I think, I think what I appreciated most was the guy I worked for. His, his Reverend Tom Rose. And he was willing to let me go up there and sink or swim. Nice. (laughs) He was willing to let me give it a go, try some things out, even though he thought some of my ideas were dumb and some of them were. Um, (laughs) I I appreciated that he was willing to just let, you know, here you go, man, have a a go. What, for a live sermon, like on a Sunday? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, So... I'm I'm a fairly informal preacher, and and Tom was a more formal, more a bit more traditional. He, he's not like a full on you know high church guy, but um, you know he had his way of doing things, and and he was good at it. And I was willing to like like that story I just told you about the the kung fu master. Like I would incorporate stuff like that into a sermon, or um, I would do something goofy with the kids as far as the kids talking. Like this one time I. I brought in all these props trying to do a Bible story. And then all of a sudden this kid got mud all over their dress. And I was, I was just like, Oh man. I, I, so I, I, I got some lessons. I got some lessons there, but uh, <laughs> nice. it, I think Ivyland new church was a great place to go and a great place to learn. But uh, yeah, that was a long time ago. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Um, spiritual development classes. What, what what does that pertain of? Well, so what we what the the home office in Philly, you know, they uh, they put together these programs, basically uh, usually six or seven weeks, where uh, usually we're following some biblical narrative, like say the creation story. So it's seven days of creation. We do a day a week, and so the the Sunday service would be about say day one, the next week day two, but then during the week we have a, a workbook and a small group that gets together and says, well, let's let's talk about this stuff. Let's let's make a a real task that we're going to do each week to really put the spotlight on some of the work we should be doing, some of the inner work, and uh, so these. These classes are designed to help us put the teachings into practice and not just let it go into our heads on a Sunday and forget about it once we walk out the church. All right, well, this week we're going to actually do this. And, uh, yeah, that's what that's about. So we've, we've run about – we run one once a year, usually once uh, February rolls around. Uh, we run that between uh, – in the lead-up to Easter. So it's it's really good. Well, what do you tell someone that's that wants to 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 believe and and find God and and you know make that transition, but what deters them is the negative stigma, which is the unbelievable part of religion, which is you know like let's say for example, Virgin Mary being pregnant, or conceiving um, Christ, or Christ dying and resurrecting. Those things turn the average person off to not even open their mind to this. And I feel like that's always the hard part of helping people because they just shut it off. I was one of them most of my life. Yeah, look, I, I, I've encountered a lot of that here, actually. Australia is a bit more of a secular country than um, America was. And um, here we have a, a lot more Muslim people than I've ever encountered than in the U.S., and so some of these, you know, and I, I encounter them because they go to the school with my kid, right? And some of the people have been super nice and being very upfront, saying the exact same things you do. Like, you know, gee, hey, I, 
I appreciate um, Jesus as a, as a guy, but boy, I have a I have a hard time believing he was God. And it is a hard one to get past, you know. How does how does how do you believe that a virgin, you know, conceives a child? You know, oh, sure, sure, she was a virgin, right? You know, oh yeah, she got pregnant, didn't want to admit she got knocked up, and so she says, oh, dad, oh no, it was just the Holy Spirit, uh, right? Um, but the reason why I think Christians believe that she was a virgin isn't because she says it. You believe she's a virgin because of all the things that happened afterwards of what Jesus did. You go, oh, well, you know what? He did some pretty amazing things, you know, uh, healed the sick, you know, blind could see. A guy who was dead for days is buried, pulled out of uh, his, his tomb and, and walks again. So, like, he, you, know, you, you believe not because Mary makes the claim. You believe because of everything that happens afterwards. Um you know, when it comes to the idea about Jesus rising from the dead himself, I mean, yeah, sure. It's a, it's a big claim, isn't it? And yet, if you think about it, you, know, you step back, look at the world. How, how big is Christianity in the world? I mean, like 20%, 40%, I don't know what the number is. You know, there's, there's billions of people that believe this, this story. Right. Over 2.3 billion. I just looked it up. Yeah. So you have 2.3 billion. It's what? 8 billion population of the world. Something like that. Yeah. A little over 8 billion. So you got, you know, a little more than, you know, 25, 30% believe. And and where does this story come from? It comes from this tiny, stupid little place in the world, you know, where there's nothing, you know, Israel, Jerusalem was a a nothing place of the world 2000 years ago. And it spreads you know, throughout the, the Greek and Roman empires. And it just, like, to me, this story doesn't spread like this if it's not real. You know, to me, there's gods behind it, you know, because how else can it escape its own little hometown if, if there's not some, some bigger force behind it? And there was um, multiple people claiming to be the Messiah back then all the time. Oh, look, you, you get them today. You can, there's yeah. a great book called The Three Christs of Ypsilanti. Um, and it's basically these different people who claim to be Christ and they're in mental hospitals. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the idea of the, of the book was that this uh, therapist was going to put the, these three Christs in the same room together so they would come to the conclusion that, wait a second, we can't all be Christ. Oh, how, how, you know, it would force them out of their delusion. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's great, right yeah. there. Three patients yeah. helped themselves, <laughs> helped each other, helped each other. You got it. I like um, it, and it worked pretty well, actually. But um, yeah, so Jesus' story has legs of him being Christ because of what he did, and 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 there there are people today who still have stories of miracles, and and I tell you. You know, one of the coolest things about my job, absolutely dead, dead serious here. Coolest thing about my job is that because I'm a pastor, people will tell me the stories of their life that they're too embarrassed and afraid to tell anybody else because of the stigma attached to it. People who have had miraculous healings, people who have had visions, people who have, it's, it's unbelievable the stuff that they tell me. And it, it just reminds me that those miracles weren't just 2,000 years ago. Those miracles are still happening today. And and that's, again, why Christianity uh, still keeps going. And it's the hard part is what you're saying is that people are skeptical. Oh, you know, you don't want to be looking stupid, right? You know, we, we, we have so much pride. Oh, I, I don't want to be dumb and, and believe in this stuff. So we refuse to believe. And we say, oh, well, when, when I'll believe when I see it. But that's not the way spirituality works. It's the other way around. When you believe, then you'll see. Hmm. Um, you know, God doesn't interfere with, with our development. And one of the weird, well, not weird, one of the, stri- the interesting teachings with Swedenborg that I found, I haven't found anywhere else is that God is very much protective of us 
from becoming worse than we already are. He, he would rather put like a, a stop loss, a floor on your degeneration. That's, it's more important to do that than to accelerate your progression. You see? And most of the time we think about, oh, it's all important to become better. And God's like, well, yeah, that's really good. I want you to become better. But it's more important that you not become worse. <laughs> I like and, that. He and, told me that one time. When I asked you for advice one time, he told me, look, uh, a step back isn't a problem as long as something like, as long as not two or three steps back every step forward. And so, so like, God doesn't have miracles become so open and manifest because if he were to show some of these things publicly, you'd have the hardened disbelievers become even more hardened in their disbelief, putting them in a worse spiritual state than they would have been if they'd never seen it in the first place. So like, again, you know, weird stories I get is a lot of times uh, a spouse will pass away, right? A couple has been married 50 years, one spouse dies and then that departed spouse will somehow communicate back to the one that's living and i had a friend uh his spouse passed away he was probably in his 50s i guess and he was really distraught because his his wife of 25 years or whatever it was uh never showed up, never visited him, no dreams, no visions, no signs, nothing. A few, I don't know, two years later, he meets somebody else and he gets remarried. Oh, she popped and, up. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I said to him? I said, well, look, could you, have, could you have been remarried? Could you have married this, this woman who's given you so much happiness if you still thought that wife number one was waiting for you in the afterlife and she'd given you something to say that I'm still here and, you know, I love you more than anything else in the world. Could, you know, to me, she, she did a favor by staying silent and letting him move forward with his life. Um, it's not that she didn't care. She cared so much as to stop herself from communicating. Now, of course I could be, completely wrong in my analysis but that's how i see it and yeah, you know to me that's beautiful it sounds actually. like a romantic movie <laughs> yeah. it sounds nice yeah. it's, it's a good way of looking right. at it you let him be free like you said before he wouldn't be able to make that decision he'll be handicapped by by the love for her so and that gave him the freedom i like it i like it do, yeah, do you so, um what do you think your relation with psychedelics and spirituality are <laughs> oh no Michael what did you tell him <laughs> oh man no I didn't my mouth is sealed bro I'm like a priest or a lawyer you know <laughs> oh my gosh um my relationship with psychedelics oh that's a tough one you know you're, you're trying to get me excommunicated from the church I think um, well because... how about this question well I never said anything I never I, heard I, of anything to I, be I didn't ask anything specific with you I said in general the relation you know because what? because I, I I've tried many psychedelics and the most powerful one on earth is five MEO DMT that comes from the toad. That one they call it the God molecule. So something oh, yeah. like that, I would love to know your, your opinion. And the main reason I ask you is because earlier in this podcast, when I brought up um, Swedenborg having hallucinations, I was wrong to hallucinations. It was he had some type of way of, of reaching the spiritual world or something like that, right? Hey, kids, yeah. that's some white boy shit. No offense. Hey. No offense, man. But if you stick to the other stuff, you know what I mean? I recommend, you know, have a drink here, maybe a smoke there. That's where the cap, <laughs> in my estimation. <laughs> to me, those are two different things. Unless you're like up north and you have no access to anything, you're stuck with just uh, the, this crazy type of stuff. No offense to nah, you, man. It's not crazy but, stuff at all. But Please, Rep, I would love to hear uh, your side of this. <laughs> so can people reach um a spiritual state through psychedelics so 
I think psychedelics have a lot to offer. I really do. Um, about a year and a half ago, I think it was, maybe two and a half years ago, it was, uh, in the last couple of years, I wrote some stuff about it in my church newsletter um, because there's a lot of information coming out the last few years about the usefulness of psychedelics and spiritual growth. And so I, I went and studied quite a bit about it. And um, what I didn't reveal to my readers is that, well, I've actually done ayahuasca. Woo! Um, <laughs> oh. oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I've done that a few times. And um, I've done 5-MeO-DMT. Just did that. I've, I've listened to a lot of stories and, and accounts of it. I, I honestly don't feel the need to do it. You know, when I, when I, it, and I hit this, this, this I sounds, like this sounds like a shameless plug, I'll tell you but why, like, man. honestly, truly, when I read the different stories of what these people come back with, um, they're teaching me the stuff that I've read in Swedenborg already. Um, the, the, you're right. It's, and I, they call it the God molecule. And what I, what I, what I found interested in learning about it is that, it's not called the God molecule because you feel like God. It's the God molecule because you kind of understand things from God's perspective. You understand God himself better. And it's, you know, a lot of these people come back with this perspective of, oh, God's much bigger than my little Baptist church. God's the God of everything. <laughs> and it's like, whoa. And, and they come back with a realization that, oh, you know what? The system all makes sense. I understand how, how, why things go the way they do now. And um, it's a big shift in perspective, which I think really does align with what Swedenborg teaches. So um, never had that experience uh, on that 5-MeO-DMT, but I have, I, I, I can, I could see where some people would find it useful. Yeah. I, I understand everything you said clearly. I've, I've experienced 5-MeO-DMT. I have not experienced ayahuasca. I want to, but just like you said, where you have no need to even want 5-MeO-DMT, I understand it because if you don't need it, if you don't want it, if it's not, if it's, if you're not drawn to it, it's just not meant to be. And you already experienced it and you know what it is. And by your reading and by your, by your experiences, you're, you, you know what it is. But the day I did experience 5-MeO-DMT, that was the day I started that's the day I had my mind open to spirituality. That day, before that day, I never believed in anything. Zero. So, so, you know, there's there's the regular DMT. I don't know, I don't know, it's regular DMT. And uh, there was a book I read in all this study. And this guy was doing, he was out, I think, in Arizona. He was a university uh, doctor. And he's doing a whole study about DMT and the effects on people. And he was trying to figure out like what's the magic dosage, right? And he found that there's a, a threshold, like at a certain amount of DMT, you can't deny the existence of God anymore. Oh. You, know, you can take some, you, you can take small amounts of it and say, ah, oh, it's a hallucination or whatever, but you get to a certain point, and even the, the most hardened people were like, Yeah, no, God, God's real, God is one hundred percent. Yeah, it's undeniable. Undeniable. Wow. Yeah, but yeah, what, so, let me ask you a question. I guess in relationship to this subject, the people that say, "Oh, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual." Isn't religion, you know, like in a in a vacuum, the guide to spirituality? <laughs> yeah. Look. Uh, yes. You know, religion is supposed to be that. And I think when people say I'm, I'm spiritual, not religious, they're trying to distance themselves from the insane parts of religion that have been perpetrated out there. They're trying to say, you know what, I, I don't believe that X, Y, Z ritual is the key to salvation and everybody else who doesn't do this ritual goes to hell. You know, they're, they're trying to give them space from the, the corruptions that happen within the organizations, um, which is an unfortunate reality. You know, that, that's, that's, yeah. So, by the way, about the the like magic mushrooms, I heard uh, and read about that they helped a lot of people get off of cigarettes, uh, lose weight, change their uh, their mood, depression. 
The only thing I would fear with that stuff is becoming depending on it, dependent on it, and not using it as like a boost for a change, for their own change, from their own heart, in their own mind. I never heard of anybody becoming dependent on it. I could be wrong, of course, but um, people do use it as microdosing instead of depression medicine, instead of anxiety medication yeah, but- that they would take every day. I'd say that's not, not being dependent on it, but that's better than taking yeah. a chemical that that's been in the wrong in the choice lab. of words. I meant the, I would say the uh, the change for it to really be a change, it would spark something in you, and then you'll take it and run with it. You would run with it. Not I need this, like not dependent like like you smoke cigarettes and now the nicotine is calling oh, and you have to smoke. Never. No, I'm saying like if I'm gonna continue to be good, I need this, and then dependent on it in that sense. No, I'm totally with you. I think that, that I'm, I'm agreeing with you 100%. That, but it's to me, those kind of medicines are a tool in the toolbox. It's, hey, um, I'm in this place. I need, I need a reset, right? You're in a, a, a bad neighborhood. I need to get out of here. Once you get out of there, it's your job to not go back to the bad neighborhood, right? You know, you still have to maintain and act the right ways. But sometimes it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, you're praying, come on, God, get, get me out of here. And the, the plant medicines can, can be useful for that. Um, look, I, because I went to a couple of those ayahuasca meditations, um, I encountered a lot of people and their stories. And I have huge amount of respect uh, because the people that go there, they are looking, they're, they're putting in the work. They're, they're in need of something. Um, I, you guys haven't done ayahuasca, right? No, I, I like, want to, but like, I'm waiting for it to just happen naturally. It will. Look, it's, it, it is not fun. I, point blank, it is not fun. You would not do this to, to, you know, to get high, right? Of course. This is not a experience. So you don't have to worry about getting dependent on ayahuasca because it's just too miserable. But um, but that's why I think it's so good because people sit there and go, All right, I am in a desperate place. I need something to help me out of this. And I'm willing to go through this miserable process to do it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I still think that you got to have God in your life. You got to have that higher power. Um, but you, you still have tools available to you to help you get out of a bad spot and and, i mean i don't know how much you want to go down this rabbit hole of psychedelics but we could be here for hours we could be here for hours (laughs) so so let's definitely cut that off because we could be here for hours the only thing i want to point out from what you said which i relate to 100 is the word reset that that's that's what it does for you it resets you that's a nice uh adjective it's beautiful Uh, we're we're cutting short on the Zoom, so let's just end it. And uh, if you could please let the people know where they could find you, and if you have any last advice you'd like to give my viewers. Yeah, well, you can uh, find me on on YouTube, um, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I use the channel Lord. I'm trying. It's usually often easier to find me by my name. I think um, Todd Byswinger. B-E-I-S-W-E-N-G-E-R, Todd Beiswinger. And uh, uh, you can find me on my church webpage, hurstvillenewchurch.com. Any of those ways you can can reach me. Uh, My big advice, really, the big takeaway is, um, you know, read the Bible. I really believe that if you approach it humbly, like you're looking for that help, you're looking for that reset, you don't need the psychedelics. Um, That, that, the, the, the word of God is there to be that connection between heaven and hell. And look, I really believe that the spiritual realm is real and that, you know, hell's, you know, negative thoughts, hell, whatever you want to call it, you know, it's, it's pushing on us, right? They're, these, these thoughts aren't chemicals. They're coming from somewhere. And what the scripture does, is it, it, it brings us in our connection to God and that, Evil doesn't want to be around goodness, right? The way, you know, you turn on the light and the cockroaches run away, it's the same deal. You you connect to God and all the cockroaches of your mind go away. So that's my big advice is just approach God, do it humbly, but do it regularly. Don't make it the thing you do once a year. Uh, make it a, a, 
a daily part of your life. Like, you know, you drink a cup of water, you, you, you know, eat some food, you know, make it a part of your routine because it's those routines. It's that, those, those daily things that make it part of you. And as you do those things, I think you'll see that your, your mind becomes a much better place. So, so that would be my pitch for people. Um, uh, if you, if you do that, uh, I'm very confident that results will come up, uh, come about. So Thank you very much for those words. Beautifully said. You have any last words, Mike? Um, no, but I want to thank you. Thank you for being on, and I, I would really look forward to a part two. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I want yeah. one whole episode on psychedelics. Oh <laughs> uh, look, you know uh, what would make a perhaps a good second one is all the all the weird stories, you know, because I've got piles of stories that people have told me over the years. Oh, we Absolutely. didn't even get into aliens and and Swedenborg's in a book on on that. Oh, man, you know, right? Yeah. Let's, let's definitely dive deep. Yeah. So hopefully by the time, <laughs> or maybe when uh, you said you're coming to uh, Philly next uh, next year, right? So maybe we can do it in person. That'd oh, be nice. That'd be great. We could link up somewhere in the middle, maybe. Yeah. 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 I should be there uh, end of June. Awesome. Let's do it. Thank you very much for for giving us your time. Rev. It's been a pleasure, fellas. Thank you. Pleasure. God bless you. Thank you. Continue the 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 videos. We love them. And uh, we'll we'll share the link below. Absolutely, right, we'll somewhere do. down there. Talk about it with friend Jazz. Thank you everybody for watching. Mike Peace and, and love. Mike and God bless. Peace, love, and wisdom. Right. Amen to that. Amen to that. <laughs> Merry Christmas, guys. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas.